Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. And uh, we're in the middle of a four-part series called Leadership Blind Spots. And actually, this series comes out of a book I've been working on uh, for the last probably five months here. And it took me five months to actually write chapter one, at least my first draft of chapter one. Uh, And I'm just calling it here in this podcast, Leadership Blind Spots, and really getting at what is the root of why our discipleship is so shallow and thin uh, in the Western church in particular. And, uh, you know, at least I want to address what I think are our particular, my particular contribution to this challenge before us. And there's lots of external challenges of why our leadership development and our discipleship is shallow. Things like technology and the secularization of our culture and porn and consumerism and the list goes on. Uh, whether you know our understanding of the gospel of how we separate being a believer and being a disciple. Uh, but my challenge, and as I began to write multiple multiple drafts of the chapter, was what is the particular emotionally healthy discipleship contribution to this larger discussion? And I came up really with four killers. Uh, And last week I did part one, we give what we do not possess, which is just gigantic. And I I, I would say that it is my number one observation of our challenge is that we, because of a lack of time in our busyness, we don't really have the kind of time for our own formation and development as leaders uh, so that we actually are experiencing and living everything we're preaching. Uh, And it's just, that's why eliminating hurry, slowing down, uh, working on our own walk with Jesus is so super important and you can't get around it. But today's topic is really this, is the second blind spot, second killer uh, in our spirituality, which I'm going to simply call, we, dis- we disconnect our emotions from our spirituality. We disconnect our emotions from our spirituality. And, uh, you know, what makes perhaps EH discipleship quite unique is that it's more than a slow down contemplative unhurried spirituality, uh, which is, of course, very important. And I'm very committed to drawing from the riches of 2,000 years of the slow-down contemplative monastic tradition of the church, Uh, again, going back to Moses and Elijah, John the Baptist. But it's also emotional, we call emotional health. And uh, it really comes out of my first seven, eight years as a lead pastor here uh, in New York City. I I was exhausted, stressed, church planting. Uh, We'd had, at this point, we had four churches going on and one of our congregations had a split and uh, I found myself very angry, emotionally stuck. My marriage wasn't going well. And so not only did I have my own personal uh, disconnect of my spirituality and my emotional life, but I was observing it everywhere around me. Uh, And that the most spiritual people oftentimes had some glaring inconsistencies in their life. And and I remember just observing folks who were dynamic and gifted and uh, quite effective in building church, perhaps in public, but having a detached spouse or uh, you know a marriage that was by anything not a model that would be put in public, or seeing folks who were church board members uh, and yet be unteachable or insecure or defensive, and again not knowing quite what to do with it, or uh, folks who fasted. Uh, I remember one person in particular who fasted a lot, uh, 40 days at a time, but yet was very unaware of his own interior life emotionally, 
uh, very much a detached figure in his own house um, and very critical as well. And how a folk a person can be leading a large ministry and yet be unaware of their own nagging sense of failure uh, and unconscious need for affirmation from others or folks praying for deliverance uh, from people sometimes in their team when actually it was unresolved stuff from their own family of origin. Uh, again, the list goes on, whether it's our, our pro- people's approach to conflict being like they were nine years old and yet they were very gifted, knowledgeable of scripture and often good leaders. And so uh, I was observing all these inconsistencies and, and, and gaps. And then I had my own gaps with gap within myself, my own crucible of pain and that people were not experiencing me as a loving person. And yet I was super committed to spiritual disciplines and had some of the best of uh, evangelical discipleship in me, uh, out of my parachurch ministry and seminary, etc., And I was very embarrassed in my own immaturity that was so evident within myself because leadership will bring that out into you. Listen, you may say, I, I can't stand leadership uh, and you're, you're quite spent and exhausted. But one of the great gifts of serving as a leader in God's church is it reveals your own inner life on levels that very few other callings or professions would ever uh, reveal and it's one of the great gifts uh, for you and all those around you that you have an opportunity to see yourself for who you are and hopefully space for God to do a profound deep work inside of you and so here I was I, I was struggling that people were growing in love for God at least zeal for God but it wasn't translating into greater love for people and I just couldn't figure out for the longest time why is it that people with great passion for Jesus and Scripture were often defensive, judgmental, unapproachable, and unsafe to be around. And that included me. Uh, and so I began to finally admit um, that the quality of love inside the church was not that different from the quality of love outside the church, that pretense and superficiality actually marked both. And uh, I remember Jerry and I not knowing what to do with our own anger towards people or circumstances. And not being honest in our relationships, uh, even with each other. Uh, we didn't know what to do with sufferings and disappointments and all those feelings inside of us and feeling guilty for feeling sad and then not being able to talk about difficult topics. We had multiple topics that were off limits in our marriage. And then there were certain topics that were off limits on our teams as well. There were elephants in the room that we didn't know what to do about. Uh, we avoided conflicts a lot because we wanted to be nice people and we weren't very honest Uh with ourselves and with each other and with people. And as one one pastor said to me last week that he didn't go, he wouldn't really be super honest with God because he didn't want to sin in being so honest with God. And I mean, that kind of a theology, uh, which was in us as well. And so as a result, we made assumptions without checking things out, said yes to things we wanted to really say no to. And the list goes on. And so God met us in this tremendous way in 1996. And uh, and realizing that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable, that it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And I was very, I mean, this was a, this was a, a thunderbolt of, of, out of a crucible of pain, God met me, God met us, God met our little church here in Queens, New York City. Uh, and it was an explosion of growth. I mean, it was, it was, it was a revelation. Whole portions of scripture began to open up to me that up to this point had been closed to me. I mean, everything from the laments of two-thirds of the Psalms and a whole book called Lamentations uh, to just Jesus and 
his his humanity as well as his divinity and uh, limits and etc. Things I'll talk about here at the end of the podcast. But uh, I had so many fears because I, I I was afraid of quote psychologizing the gospel. I was anti really emotions, at least certain emotions, the difficult emotions, and I prided myself on being stable and. I would not have considered myself at all a touchy-feely person up to this point, uh, but I realized the issue was the gospel. The issue was applying the gospel deeply, and that I had the gospel in my head, but I didn't know how to get it into my heart deeply, into my experience, and um, there were theological gaps, and that's what this podcast is about. That's what, actually, I would consider emotionally discipleship at its root is a, theo- is a theology, and I remember going back to my professors because I wanted to understand uh, how did I get here, and what were the gaps in my own theology and training and development that got me into a mess uh, that I found myself into in 17 years after coming to Christ? And I'd like to introduce what I'm going to share with you right now. I'd like to consider, uh, you know, our this work of emotional discipleship and all we've written and talked about is, is a theology that comes out of a context. Uh, you know, Paul did theology out of the Greco-Roman world as he traveled and planted churches around the empire. Uh, and so his letters addressed challenges that came up, and he was applying the gospel in fresh ways and new ways, whether it be in Corinth, whether it be in Ephesus, whether it be in, um, you know, in present-day Turkey. And uh, in, in the same way, as I was pastoring and leading here in Queens, New York City, in this multi-ethnic international context, uh, as a lead pastor over you know 26 years, uh, I kept confronting theological inconsistencies or, or struggles, and and then traveling, of course, contributed to that. And so out of that came, I think, a, a clarity of what are these theological gaps that almost killed us. So let me let me begin with the two kind of they're 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 at 10,000 feet. They're large theological issues, um, and then I want to get a little bit more specific. But here's the two large theological gaps that I find I found in myself but also I find most commonly to be the issue around the world. That's this. The first one has to do with what it means to be made in God's image. And uh, that, and I, and I remember going back to a professor, uh, two professors around this issue of how did I get to a place where I, I had sliced off half of my humanity as a human being and so many other people had as well. And we had so many folks who uh, were just so disconnected in their spirituality and their emotional world. And uh, I remember this one professor, I, I had taken a course in Augustine, uh, and uh, this fellow was the, was the world scholar on Augustine. And I went back to him, and I, cause I remember him talking about how all of us in the class were Neoplatonists, and uh, and, you know, and and our theology, we couldn't even realize. And that's why we were all, that's why we were so hung up on sexuality. But at the time, I couldn't even, I, I didn't know what he was talking about. And I wrote my paper, I did very well in the class, but it didn't change my life. But now I went back to him, I said, you know, how did I get here? And he and so in simple terms, you know, he said, the, the, you know, this unspoken message in many churches is the body is bad and the spirit is good. And there's a subtle message that to be human, to be emotional, if not sinful, at least it's less than spiritual. And that this comes more from Plato than from Holy Scripture. And uh, now when, we're made, when we talk about being made in the image of God, there are different aspects of that image. We're emotional beings. We're, we have emotions. God has emotions. We're spiritual beings. We, we commune with God. We're we're social beings. We, we're, we're relational beings, much like God is, you know, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, exist in relationship. We're intellectual beings. We think. We have a mind. Um, and we're physical beings. 
uh, we're, we, we, we're in bodies, just like God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus. And then we talk about being made in God's image and what it means to be fully human. Uh, it's all of those aspects of our humanity. And, and if, we, if we slice one off, uh, we basically become distorted human beings. And, uh, and overemphasis on one aspect over and against the other uh, is disastrous. And so I realized the emotional aspect of being a human being had been so sliced off and never really been addressed. And even though I wrote a whole paper, for example, in seminary, 25 pages from the original Hebrew on one of the laments in Psalms, I actually, we never made the application that uh, we need to lament and grieve. I didn't do sadness, uh, but yet I wrote a 25 page, page paper on it, but it never connected beyond my head that it was something meant to be integrated into my own spirituality and my walk with Jesus, just like it was for David and Jesus, etc. So that's the first, about what it means to be made in God's image. And getting that right um, is foundational. And that we've gotten got distorted over the, over the years. And it was Augustine who actually uh, really took Neoplatonism and brought it into the church. It's very much present in all, it's very, very challenging. But the second is this, that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. And so are we, we're fully God. We're, we're full, not fully God, we're fully human. Um, and I, I was so into Jesus and the spirituality of Jesus, the heavenly Jesus, the risen Jesus, I really had rarely considered seriously the human Jesus. And one of the early church heresies was uh, called Docetism or Gnosticism, where Jesus, you know, was fully God, but not really human, you know, and, and uh, Jesus only seemed to be human. Uh, and of course, I didn't believe that. I believed in Chalcedon, God, the Council of Chalcedon in 451, where the church declared that Jesus was fully God and fully human, and not to not to embrace that was considered heresy. But I, I believed it intellectually, but uh, I regarded negative feelings such as anger or depression as anti-God. I, 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 I spent my days, you know, most of my days in prayer and the word and, and spirituality, but like cleaning the house and doing laundry, changing diapers, that was not as spiritual. Uh, and so, you know, we were, I was in a, uh, an example, I was in a, a study just last week on the Garden of Gethsemane with a group of pastors, uh, and, and, and this, and, and just Jesus, his humanity of, of, of just, you know, he's depressed, he's overwhelmed, he's, he's, he's fallen with his face on the ground, and uh, we see a fully human Jesus, you know, he's emotionally depressed, he's mentally confused, he's spiritually overwhelmed, he's pushed to the edge of his human limits, and he falls to the ground, he's sweating drops of blood, it says, and I just had never considered seriously Jesus under this kind of emotional stress. And uh, and that's why actually in church history, some people rejected this Jesus, this human, fleshly, struggling Jesus, who was struggling with the will of God. And, and this fellow said to me in, in the group, he goes, the Jesus I worship, uh, I, I just, I just, this is not the Jesus I worship. This is not the kind of Messiah I was taught. Mine was victorious. He's proclaiming the truth. He's very concerned about what people think around him. Uh, but not this struggling Jesus. And here is a person pastoring a church um, who just was just said, did I, and I, much like myself, I just didn't see Jesus uh, in this kind of unembarrassed freedom as he's chosen at Gethsemane. But if we look at the life of Jesus, you see a, a very, yes, God and human. Uh, he sheds tears. He's filled with joy. He grieves. He's angry. He's got sadness. He's compassionate. He feels sorrow, distress. He, he's not emotionally frozen. Uh, and yet I was emotionally frozen uh, for various reasons. And so this, this, I guess, revelation, I'll call it, was moved me from being fully, a, a, just a human doing, because I was, I was a doing machine, to actually a human being uh, and slowing me down. And it was, it was revolutionary um, uh, as I began to make the connection of emotional 
my emotions, connecting it to my spirituality, it just opened up a, a whole area that has forever changed me, and I pray it changes you as well. And so it unfolded um, at trying to get a handle on it. And so the first was just learning to feel, going beneath the surface of all of this doing I was involved in, slowing down enough to actually feel. Um, because I, like many folks, had repressed certain emotions and almost like that was going to be, that was virtuous, whether it was denying anger, ignoring pain, skipping over depression, running from loneliness, avoiding doubts, uh, turning off sexuality. But it was like, this was like good for my spiritual life. And I love this quote by Alan, Dan Allender and Tremper Longman in their book, Cry of the Soul, and why it's so important to listen to our emotions. And Tremper Longman's a great Old Testament scholar. And he writes this, he goes, they say, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. And listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives a heart a voice. However, we turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. And we strain out anything they write disturbing in order to gain a control of our inner world. And we're frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our consciousness. And this was a great summary. He says this, In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. And we forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. And very sadly, so many of us as leaders are just emotionally numb with little awareness of our feelings. And we have so much to do. Uh, you know, I ask, I, I'll often ask a pastor, how do you feel? And they're kind of like, they start talking about what they think. And uh, their emotions are in a deep freeze. And, and so often it's their body language, their tone of voice, their facial expressions that, that are indicating what's going on inside. But they can't even articulate or identify them. So the first is, is, is actually letting yourself feel. And I remember I spent, uh, when I first started this journey, I spent probably couple of years, two to three years, my, my muscles were so weak at feeling because I'd been so shut down for so long. And I just, I would do like before the Lord as part of my, as part of my devotional time in the morning, I would journal what I was feeling. And generally I was a day late, like what, what happened yesterday when that person made that critical comment to me, what, how'd that feel? And I would journal before the Lord and I was uncensored, you know, and I would do it like David in the Psalms as a kind of a prayer before God. And I just began to exercise my muscles and was so surprising. I went from a person who prided myself on basically not feeling. Uh, I was, I, I was prided myself on being stable, not people around me be up and down. I was just stable moving along there. And I found out I had a reservoir. I had an ocean of emotion inside of me. Uh, I had no idea about and just, I came so much alive, not just to the difficult emotions. We don't say negative ones because all emotions are emotions and I became so aware of uh, the difficult emotions inside of me like sadness and fear and as I brought them before God I just parts of me came alive to joy and delight and other things as well and it was just it was like becoming a human being not simply be a doing machine uh, and so I, in fact I encourage you to do that as part of your devotional time just let yourself feel before God, much like David did. And he brought up before the Lord. That's what makes it so beautiful. This whole journey is we do this in the presence of God and allow him to come to us in it. And I promise you, he will. But then secondly, it led to uh, what we call, you know, go back to go forward and something called, you know, breaking the power of your past, genogram, looking at how our families of origin over the last three, four generations have impacted who we are today. And that was a whole dynamic experience. Uh, and actually, I remember the first time 
um, Jerry and I were, were actually, we were in a Christian counselor's office. So we were in this, we just started this journey and we, we had tension in our marriage and the uh, Christian counselor just put up, he put it like a 10 minutes. He just said, you know, let's a little diagram. You know, tell, tell me about your parents' marriage. And, you know, like, oh, there was conflict. And, you know, give me some adjectives to describe it. Tell me a story, you know. And, and then he had do my, my parents' marriage and Jerry's marriage. And then he asked about our grandparents. We didn't know very much. We knew enough. And he put some adjectives around that. And about 10 minutes, he said, well, look at your marriage. How is it different? And we were always so um, proud, that, you know, pride, proud in a not saying that in a positive sense, that our we, we were on fire Christians for Jesus. You know, we were so different. But we looked at that little diagram and realized, oh, our marriage really isn't that different from our parents. Once you get beneath the veneer of our spirituality and our language and, you know, us pastoring this church. Uh, and it was a shock. And that's what led us on a journey uh, to begin to look at how our family of origin was impacting us. Uh, and it exploded in everything from how we did uh sadness to how we define success to my own workaholism and i can name it over functioning uh not being honest the way we dealt with conflict i mean the list goes on and on and on then we've got to bring it to our teams and and then actually i, I when i eventually took a uh, you know began to develop this whole concept of genograms took a doctor of ministry course an advanced course in marriage and family and we had to do a one-year genogram of our families of origin interviewing every living member of our families about how it's, you know, how the dynamics were going on in our family and looking at how it impacted us. Um, and uh, so, again, I'll, I'll be talking more about this in the years to come. In fact, in the years to come, in the months to come. In January, we're going to release a, a, an exercise for you, and I'll do a couple of podcasts around it on this whole issue of gem genograms. Uh, and I'm going to make available, working on it now, a exercise for your teams. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be free and uh, something you can do with your team to actually... A leadership team uh, on going back to go forward, how it impacts your leadership and your disciple making. It's just a really large issue. We spent we spent decades working on it because it's a way of getting access to beneath the surface in our lives as leaders, so we can serve our people and bring a discipleship that connects emotions to spirituality, and, and especially in the realm of how our past impacts our present, often in ways that we're unconscious. And that and then it leads to it, it, as we began to connect emotions and spirituality. Uh, I did a tremendous amount of work on grief and loss. And I mean, who has time for grief? Who has time for loss? And uh, I mean, everything from the, the Psalms and uh, of lament to the book of Lamentations, the book of Job, and just found that there was a, there was a, a treasure chest uh, uh, in all of scripture around the theme of grief and loss. And this was a very large biblical theme and how Western culture of bigger, better, faster, upward and onward, that whole uh you know, Western theology, you know, of, of secular theology of bigger, better, faster had been so deeply in me, of def even how I define success, that it had just, it, it just, I just even, I didn't even, I read right past the, the, the laments and the griefs and loss. And, and I began to make time, uh, and Jerry and I began to make time to actually pay attention to our losses. And we had to do a lot of back work. Uh, I had pr profound losses. And at this point, I was in my probably 37 years old. And, I just had never dealt with loss. And I, so I had a backlog of quite a bit uh, to begin to wrestle with. And uh, it was just, I can't tell you how life-changing. And I mean, it's just, so it's a fundamental theme of connecting emotions to spirituality is uh, enlarging our soul uh, through grief and loss. And then there's limits and the whole theology of limits, which we found in scripture, uh, a big theology and how it relates to rebellion, going back to the Garden of Eden uh, and embracing limits as God's gift to us. And uh, how the very sin of the Garden of Eden was a rebellion against limits. Uh, 
uh, as God put the, put the tree right in front of them and said, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but don't eat from this one. And they were to trust God and, and surrender to God's limits that God placed before them. And it was the same test in the wilderness for Jesus with the devil. And uh, it's, it's quite a theme in scripture. And uh, I mean, again, uh, when we cross our limits uh, that God puts in front of us, we end up in rebellion. And uh, that's why your number one ministry is you. Uh, your own walk with Jesus, your own trust in Jesus, and your own listening and waiting on the Lord, um, and bringing this whole emotional component or, or biblical themes into your spirituality. Uh, without it, you not, not only hurt yourself and do viol- you do violence to the people around you as well. And uh, and then there's this whole theme also as we begin to unpack integrating emotional health called brokenness and vulnerability. I was told that you do vulnerability and brokenness as a sermon uh, connector with your audience. Uh, that's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about uh, genuine brokenness between you and God. I'm talking about David in Psalm 51 who commits murder and adultery uh, and writes a song about it to be sung in church. And makes sure he makes sure it gets recorded in a history book. Or even Peter, his denial of Jesus and three, you know, his threefold denial of Jesus was, was just a horrific moment. And yet he makes sure it gets written in the Gospels. And I can just imagine him and Mark talking and saying, make sure you put that in there. Uh, his denial becomes such a part of scripture. Uh, but, but, and Paul, uh, boasting in his weakness, not like the super apostles, how he, his, his gifts, his visions, his revelations. And he says, no, I, I, I glory in my weakness. And I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm weak that the power of Christ might rest upon me. I, I remember memorizing 2 Corinthians 12 because I said, this is such a countercultural model to my whole formation, my first 17 years as a Christian, um, leading out of brokenness and vulnerability change my preaching, change my leadership, change my marriage, change my parenting, change my whole life. And uh, it was very freeing. In fact, listen, if you've never taken the Emotionally Healthy um, Personal Assessment, I want to encourage you to take it. And uh, it's a 15-minute assessment about am I an emotional infant, child, adolescent, or an adult? Uh, and uh, it's about, about 40 questions. It was developed over quite a long period of time, a number of years ago. And it's an assessment that you can just take about, you know, how am I doing in my connecting emotions to my spirituality? And you can find it. it it's free at emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. Uh, go there. Take that if you've not taken it. And if you take it years, took it years ago, take it again and find out, am I an emotional infant, adolescent, child, or adult? And then you can de- hopefully determine. It's a great determine, you know, what's my work before me? Uh, it's a great tool to use with teams as well and uh, churches. I know whole churches that have done it, but it's a great little tool. And then finally, Jerry and I began to develop skills in 1996 as we began to make this connection. Uh, and and I, I remember, I mean, I, I'm actually even embarrassed to say it. I remember connecting the second commandment to the first greatest commandment. Uh, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, Jesus said, with all your mind, soul, and strength. It's the greatest commandment. And the second is like the first, he says. It's love your neighbor as yourself. And he recognized that true spirituality is loving God and people. And the Pharisees just couldn't see it. And Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 13, that I can have all the Bible knowledge and gifts and, and fruitfulness in ministry. But if I don't have love, he says, you have nothing. You can move a mountain, but if you don't have love, you've got nothing. And, and you can't love people while remaining emotionally immature. And that's what I realized was my problem. And then Paul said in Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And uh, I was like, love. And I, I, I just couldn't figure out how I got so far from the simplicity 
uh, that the goal of of my life was to be a loving person, uh, not this pastor who preached tremendous sermons and, and made it built a great church and all that. I was like, how did this happen? Uh, so slowly over time, that I got wrapped up into again running this large machine, trying to lead people to Christ, but not so much concerned about my own ability to love and and even just training people and discipling people and how do you love other people. And so we began to develop skills. Now we, we develop a lot of skills to be competent in our school, at school, in our careers. We spend tens of thousands of dollars to get educated, but we spend very little time learning skills to love other people. And so we began to realize that we've got to teach people how to love other people, disciple people in that. Um, I mean, research has shown over and over again how uh, over the last 15, 20 years, people's ability to have face-to-face conversations and have eye contact and connect emotionally has decreased dramatically. Um, and now the research about the, whether it's the millennials or Generation Zs, Generation X, Generation Zs, that technology has so affected, changed the world, has changed our churches. It's affected every area of life, from workplaces to parents to friendships to classrooms to dating churches. Uh, and people's ability to, to connect emotionally has really gone way down. Um, and this is, a, this is a clear discipleship issue. And, um, and so we began to develop skills. And over a 21-year period, that could actually disciple people in changing the way they do relationships. And, and we realized that you can't just preach it. You have to show people how to do it. We like to call it, compare it, similar to riding a bike, we like to say. I can read to you about from a book about how to ride a bike. I can, I can show you on video how to ride a bike. But I can get on a bike and demonstrate how to ride a bike to you. But you've got to get on that bike to actually learn how to ride a bike. And so we realized we got to actually walk people through experientially. How do you love people? How, how do you do it differently? And even though it's very uncomfortable and feels, you know, different, but as we, people come to Jesus Christ and are birthed in the new family of Jesus, we don't do relationships the way any one particular culture does it, uh, whether it's you in the Mideast or Europe or Africa or Asia or North America or South America. We do, we do relationships as in the new family of Jesus. So we began to, to break that down, the skills and how do we do clean fighting and how do we listen, how do we speak clearly, respectfully, how do we genograms our families, how do we clarify expectations and, and how do we get a hold of our values and begin to move people from being low self-aware and defensive, blaming, maybe isolated relationally to actually moving to where they're approachable and take responsibility and and and, and are warm and, and soft in relationships. And I like to say, I, I said this to our, our, I was teaching the emotional health relationships course at our church just last week. And I, and, and I just, I just, I plead with people. I said, listen, you're in our church here, but I wanted to be really clear to you that we we're, we want you to have communion with God. There's nothing more important in the world than that. And, and cultivating your, 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 your silence, your stillness, your time in scripture, communion with Jesus is the heart of all life, but also communion with people. And it, to, have, to be good at, quote, communing with God and not be good at communing with people is a contradiction of the whole ministry life of Jesus. And he died to free us and to make us whole as people. And so our discipleship's got to include both. And that's why in we developed the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, and we say it has two parts, emotionally spirituality, to cultivate our course, which is, you know, cultivating our communion with Jesus and emotionally healthy relationships, teaching us how to cultivate our communion with God. And um, I know for many folks, it's much more scary to do the emotional healthy relationships course because I'm getting into all this relational mess. I'm referring to those of us in leadership. It was very hard for me to go down this road of getting into my relationship immaturity uh, 
And so I, I, because I just, I felt so out of control with it. I felt so inept. I felt like I was in kindergarten. Here I was a, you know, seminary graduate pastor for many years. Uh, and yet I was so emotionally immature. And so, uh, again, if you've not seen this emotionally healthy, uh, discipleship course, I want to encourage you to uh, go to our website, emotionallyhealthy.org slash launch. And, uh, you can get a couple free samples there, but you want to, you want to get that bundle it's called, it's, it's a bundle and you get into this whole world of beginning to apply emotionally healthy discipleship to you, your team, uh, and your and your church. But you want to get on that journey for yourself first. It always begins with you. So, all right, we've talked about leadership blind spot number one, which is we, we give away what we don't possess. Leadership blind spot number two is we disconnect our emotions from our spirituality. Uh, these are two really large ones, but uh, listen, there's actually two more. Uh, so next week we're going to get into, we, we ignore the treasures uh, of our of the global church and the historical church, uh, and it's it's a large blind spot because there's so much treasure in there that we're not taking advantage of. So I look forward to talking to you next week. But God bless everybody. It's been great to be with you. I hope you're having a good day or good evening, and I look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.